scripture reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Bailey, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of, ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for bringing us here today. Lord, we thank you for this time to bring worship to you. Now, Lord, we pray you would calm our hearts and minds. Lord, push out the distractions of the world so that we'd be able to focus on you and your word. Lord, I pray you be with Mark as he brings the word. Speak through him, Lord. Bless his study. Lord, I pray that the words he brings today would be good for our hearts, Lord. They'd be, bring honor and glory to you. And that everything we do here today, Lord, be for your glory and our good. In your name, amen. Thank you, Dan. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. How many of you excited to learn about dirt today? Yes, not what you think. Sorry, say it. Not what you think, not what you think. Although I did have somebody come up to me before the service and say, I don't really want to learn about the cleanliness of dirt. And I thought, how weird is that? Everybody wants to know about the cleanliness of dirt. Well, what in the world does this mean? Well, that's my hope. This is one of my favorite passages growing up. It was also one of the passages that I didn't clearly grasp growing up and hearing that with my dad preaching about it even. Uh, just lost sight. What does it really mean? What does it really mean? Why did God kill Uzzah? I like Uzzah. Uzzah sounds like they just... Uzzah. What's your name? Uzzah. So, but to get an understanding of what this passage is trying to say, you got to get a bit of a background. So in 1 Samuel chapter 4, remember we're in 2 Samuel, so two years ago <laughs> we went through this, 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel and the Philistines are at war and Israel is losing. And it changed their fortunes in the battle Israel sends for the Ark of the Covenant, assuming that it, being in their presence and going before them in battle, would win the battle for them. Instead, Israel is routed by the Philistines, and the Philistines capture the Ark. And in the seventh, seven months that the Philistines possess the Ark, God brings plagues of tumors, plagues of mice, Lots of people die. 
and they say, enough. We've got to get rid of this ark. We've got to send it back to Israel. And so they place it on a new cart to be pulled by oxen, which had never been yoked before, and they send it back to Israel. And when it arrives, the ark is placed in the house of a man named Abinadab, where it remains until David arrives, what, three decades later? So a number of decades later to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And so we have to ask ourselves, if this is the history, and this is important, why remembering what happened with the ark, we also need to understand what is the ark. What is the ark of the covenant? It is not as Indiana Jones so wonderfully placed, taken by the Nazis and all that kind of stuff. No. It's a, if that is your understanding of the ark, throw that out the window. It did not disintegrate people like that, okay? So we have to understand, how does the Bible speak of the ark? Or more specifically, how does this passage, what does it reveal, excuse me, about the ark? Well, in its most simplest form, it was a wooden box. It was a wooden box that was covered in gold, and it was topped with two angels whose wings met in the middle of the box. It contained the Ten Commandments. It contained some manna. Um, If I remember right off the top of my head, I believe it also contained Aaron's staff, which budded. Uh, So there was things inside that the box that would remind the people of who God was. And this Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies, the most inner chamber of the tabernacle, and then later the temple. But it was more than just a simple ornate box that contained important historical things. We are told in our passage today, we're told in verse 2, that it is called the name of the Lord. It is called by the name of the Lord of hosts. Now, names in the Bibles, we've said this a number of times, the names in the Bibles are important. Names speak of information on the character of that individual. And so to call the name by the Lord, by the, to call the ark by the name of the Lord of hosts is to speak of the ark as the focal point of the being and the character of God. It, the ark of the covenant, was the place where the presence and the being and the character of God himself sat quote-unquote, sat on his throne before the people. It was, where the, it was the place where he manifested his presence to his people on earth and revealed to them his commands and his desires. No one but the Levites were to go near the ark and were certainly never to touch the ark. And the ark was... In essence, so it was the earthly, physical representation of the character and the being of God before his people. It was his throne. And that's all good to know. But how does that then help us to understand what it was that brought the wrath of God upon Uzzah? After all, he just touched the ark. Right? He just touched it. It wasn't like he took a hammer to it. He didn't try to break it up with an axe. He reached out and he touched it. What's wrong with that? He touched it. That's what's wrong with that. 
he touched the ark. God had given Israel very clear and direct instructions on how to handle and transport the ark. It was to be carried by two poles and only by a certain group of Levites, not any Levite, a certain group of Levites. But David, and this is all David's fault, ultimately, David places the ark on a new cart. Hmm, where have we heard that before? He acts like a Philistine, the king of Israel, the newly anointed king of Israel, places the ark on a new cart just like the Philistines did, being driven by Uzzah and Ahio, neither of whom are Levites. Now at some point, the ox stumble and the ark begins to slip off the cart. Now, have you guys ever... Have you ever had something like a hot lid slip off or a hot pot slip off the stove and your natural instinct is to do what? Just to grab it, right? And it takes about a split second. You realize, I should not have grabbed this hot thing. And you throw it, right? Well, this is what Uzzah does. This is, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that Uzzah is just reacting to prevent the ark from slipping off the cart and falling to the ground. He, did, he didn't want the ark to get damaged, and he didn't want the ark to get dirty. But, as an article from Ligonier Ministries reads, this choice by Uzzah was actually a deadly mistake. Uzzah didn't realize that his own uncleanness was far worse than any smudge of mud. The Lord was to be treated with honor and respect. Why? Because the Lord is a holy God before whom anyone unclean will receive his wrath. Uzzah was not a Levite. He should not have been there. He had not gone through the proper rituals the Levites had to go through in order to carry the throne of God's presence. The ark being transported improperly ultimately causes Uzzah to assume that when it slipped off the ark, now it never would have slipped if it would have been on poles, but it's slipping off the cart, that the dirt was dirtier than him. And that cost him his life. And you go, what kind of God do we worship? The dirt is not dirtier than, than me. I took a shower this morning. I think I'm okay. I, had, I, w- I went outside and I was even throwing salt out today out, out in front of the church and, and I washed my hands afterward. I've got soap. I'm clean, right? Yeah, well, he's not talking about earthly cleanliness. The dirt, the dirt itself did not dishonor God. As it did. Suddenly, what is a joyful and a merry time, the, the word uses, for David and Israel. They're dancing. They're so excited. Suddenly becomes a time of mourning and anger. Verse 8, and David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. Now, was David angry against the Lord or himself? We aren't told. What we are told is that his anger very quickly turned to the fear of God. And this is a fear 
that is along the lines of Hebrews chapter 12, where it says where the church is told to worship God with reverence and awe because God is a consuming fire. A fire which burns away the impurities and a fire which destroys that which is dishonoring to him. Uzzah's death reminds David that God is not to be taken lightly and the honor of God is not to be taken lightly. David thought it worked for the Philistines, it'll work for us. Uzzah thought, well, I could just make sure it doesn't get dirty so it doesn't hit the ground. And both of them were wrong. And it didn't bring life, it brought death. But before we begin to go, oh, well, God is just a God of wrath. (laughs) He's not just a God of wrath. He is also a God of blessing. Because after Uzzah's death, the ark is moved to the home of a man named Obed-Edom, where the Lord blesses him and his household. Now, this is a really interesting part of this passage. What brought the blessing of God upon Obed-Edom? Was it the fact that the ark was there? Well, the ark is on the cart. The ark is, is around Israel when Uzzah is killed. So it can't just be the simple presence. Remember, the presence of the ark did absolutely nothing for Israel in the battle. Well, the book of Chronicles speaks of Obed-Edom as a Levite. So that's a good start. It's going to the house of a Levite. Oh, Levite, good, good job, David. That's really good. But probably the most telling is that instead of death, Obed is blessed. Instead of a curse, it's a blessing. Instead of death, it's life. In 1 Chronicles 26, 5, It tells us that God blesses Obed-Edom with eight sons. And to have sons, let alone eight sons, is a sign of prosperity in life in those days. So you don't just have one or two, you've got eight. What does that mean? God has like really blessed you. So it seems that Obed-Edom does the opposite of David in Uzzah. He treats the ark with respect and honor that it was due as a throne of the presence of the Lord of hosts. Obed-Edom receives the blessing that could have come easily to David and his household and all of the nation of Israel if they had but honored the Lord as he commanded. Instead, David's irreverence of the Lord even momentarily costs a man his life. Throughout the book of Samuel, David is portrayed as a type of Christ. We've talked about this. David is the anointed king. He, He is a shadow and a copy of the king, the Messiah that is to eventually come to bless God's people. Well, in the same way, the Ark of the Covenant is a type of Christ. It is a shadow and a copy of the work of Christ, Jesus, coming to earth. Now, let me explain, okay, because usually we think of types, we think of people, right? Well, no, this is the Ark of the Covenant. This is just a, a box. Well, 
In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and we know this, right? Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So as with the ark, Jesus was the means in which God met with his people. Not on top of a box in the Holy of Holies, but face-to-face, physically face-to-face with his people. God came in the flesh to meet with and to speak to his people to give the commands of God. And Jesus says this as much in John chapter 15. If you keep my command, commandments, you will abide by my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide, abide in his love. Or John chapter 8, verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So what Jesus is saying here is to hear and to follow the commands of Jesus is to hear and follow the commands of God the Father. But there's one passage above all that I believe points to this truth that the ark is a type of Christ. And I absolutely love it. But it was a passage that confused me until just a few years ago. And when, when it was revealed to me by another teacher who I was under, I literally dropped my Bible when we read this passage. Now, have I built it up sufficiently? Now you're going to be like... You're weird, Mark. Yes, I am. I understand that. But on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, when he rose from the grave, Mary comes to the tomb and she looks in. And in John chapter 20, verse 12, this is what it says. Now listen carefully. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had, had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now, don't let the significance of that pass by you. This short verse, and that's literally all it says, and then it moves on to having a conversation with Mary. Jesus and Mary are having a conversation. This short verse is making the connection between the two cherubim on top of the ark, between which resided the holy presence of God. It is the throne of God the character, the being of God himself coming to the earth to speak to Israel. And when Mary looks in the tomb and she sees two angels, one at the head and one at the feet, John here is saying, God is with us. God has come. God is here. God is speaking through his son, Jesus Christ. He is commanding us. Who is Jesus? He's God. He's God. He no longer resides, though, between the cherubim because the tomb is empty, right? You got two angels, but there ain't no God between. Why? What is this saying? Well, because he's not limited. Now, God limited himself purposely so he wouldn't kill all of Israel by his presence being there. He limited it to the Ark of the Covenant, but now there is, Jesus isn't there. He's standing outside the tomb and starts to have a conversation with Mary face to face. And Mary doesn't die. And this isn't just like the Jesus who pre-death. This is the glorified Christ. 
He no longer resides between the cherubim, but instead he walks among his people. God is with us. That's who Jesus is. But what brings the wrath of God upon humanity? Like David with the ark, all of humanity faces the wrath of God for taking the honor and the presence of God lightly. In the name, the name of Jesus. So it, we take Christ lightly. We look at him as like, the Bible is true. It says that we are brothers and sisters of Christ. He is our brother. And there's that intimate relationship. But we have to understand he's a brother who can smite us off the face of the earth. Our God is our father. And he loves us. And he sent his son to die for us. But he is a consuming fire. There's always that balance. The balance that we have a God who loves us. We have a brother in Christ who not only is our brother, we will reign with him, but he is our brother who is, has all authority over heaven and all of earth. You have to balance those two things. And so even though he's our friend, even though he's our brother, we must treat him with respect and honor. He is our king. He is the one that we bow down to. He is the one that we worship. We should not take God lightly and his presence and his character lightly. And today, what is the name of Jesus but a curse? His commands are seen as old and archaic, not with the times, use a modern phrase, on the wrong side of history. When he says, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, humanity chuckles to themselves. Or take a church in New York, which once a year opens its doors for owners and their pets to receive a blessing from the pastor in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, nobody loves pets more than I do, except for maybe cats. No one loves pets more than I do, but to use the name of Jesus in this way is to minimize and dishonor the reason Jesus came to earth. He did not die on the cross to bless pets and to make people and pet owners happy about their pets. He came to save souls from the wrath of God for their sins. What brings the wrath of God upon us? It is taking the honor and the presence of Jesus Christ lightly as if he's a good luck charm who will bring blessings simply because his name is spoken in a prayer. It is treating Jesus as Israel uh, treated the ark when they took the ark in battle before the Philistines thinking, well, the ark's here, so we're good. And yet, as a society... Israel had dishonored and disrespected God. Again, using him as a lucky charm. But the wrath of God also comes because, like Uzzah, we assume we are clean. 
We assume that as long as we do more good than bad, then God is going to be pleased with us. As long as we don't harm anyone else, we'll be fine in the presence of God, and He will let us be with Him forever in heaven. And we don't need Christ, and we're good enough in and of ourselves But the reality is that the dirt of this earth is more clean before God than we are. We are Uzzah. We may have great intentions, doing the best we can, but our hearts are unclean and sinful before a perfect and holy God. And we... That's the first step. If if there's steps, that's the first step, is to realize that in and of ourselves, we cannot stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God because sin has utterly infected every part of our lives. But there is a cure, right? Now, Now the positive part, like the reality The wrath of God is upon all of humanity for our sinful rebellion and our dishonor of God. But there's a cure. There is a way that His wrath against us for our dishonor and disrespect of Him can be satisfied. A way that the blessing of God can be received. We must know and confess that we are unclean. We need to confess that we are unclean before a holy God. If David and Uzzah had realized that the ark should be treated properly and honorably, because not because the ark itself is awesome, but because God is there, His presence is there, Uzzah would not have died and the ark would be in Jerusalem, not Obed-Edom's home. We need to realize and confess our uncleanness before a perfect and holy God that we have failed to honor Him as He has commanded us. That the dirt of this earth is cleaner in the eyes of God than we are. Now you understand, I'm not talking about physical cleanliness, right? This is our souls. Who we are, our nature, if you want to use that word, is unclean. that the dirt itself is crying out more than we do for God to restore the world as it once was before Adam and Eve sinned. All of nature is groaning. How often do we wake up in the morning and groan, but it's not my knees? That I'm groaning that God would restore the world to the way it was. Like, Think it, groan. Now, I'm not using this because I don't do this. I'm not using this as a guilt trip, okay? This is not a guilt trip. But this is the reality. The dirt itself is groaning more than we do, more than humanity. And I'm putting us all in one big box on a purpose. We're all in the same boat. The dirt of this earth groans for God to complete the perfection and the glory that He planned and that He had at the beginning more than we do as a human race, the ones who were created in God's image. And so we need to realize that, to confess that. We are unclean. 
unworthy to be in your presence, Lord. What do we do? Well, he says, honor me. Honor me by believing and trusting and following my son, Jesus Christ. Because I sent him to this earth to cleanse you from all of your sins, past, present, and future. The only way to be clean. Well, I'll let 1 John 1, 9. Famous passage, famous verse. If we confess our sins... If we realize and we recognize our uncleanness before God, He is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All of it. Do you know what that means? Is that when we confess, when we recognize that we are sinners and we confess that before God and we say, God, I need you to forgive me of my uncleanness, God goes, I'm faithful. You recognize it. You confess it. You want to live for me. You want to honor me. You are my child, and I will save you of all unrighteousness, all uncleanness in my eyes before me, and you will become, and you are my son and my daughter, and I will always welcome you. Nothing will take you out of my hands. My love for you is forever and it is solid. We are made clean by the power of God, making us worthy to know him, to worship him, and to be with him forever. See, when Christ was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, we say this in the church a lot, okay? But do we understand exactly what we're saying? God himself arrived. The significance of that. The God who, remember, was, who was in essence shut up in the, in the holy of holies, that only one person a year could come into his presence. That God, that if you entered his, his presence or if you touched the ark in any way, unlawfully, that you were dead immediately. That God comes to earth in the flesh. He comes to speak to his people face to face. And then he dies on the cross to cleanse us from our uncleanness before God. And the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, to the rest of God's people ripped from top to bottom. God's presence is no longer reserved for a few Levites, but for all who believe, trust, follow, and submit to His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. We say it every Christmas, and I'll say it every week until after Christmas, and probably even then in the middle of, you know, spring and summer, because it's good for us to remember Jesus did not come to earth to make you feel good about yourself. He did not come to earth to give presents so that you can stand underneath, you know, be underneath and spend time with family. That's all good. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's not why he came. He came to cleanse God's people from their unrighteousness so that they may be saved from their dishonor of God 
and that God would burn in their souls and cleanse them so that they might live for Him. It's what we call the process of sanctification. So if you're a believer, if you are a child of God, if you've been cleansed, remember that. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came to cleanse me of my sin. He paid the price for my dishonor of God so that I might live a life of honor to God. As wonderful as family is, as wonderful as treats are, as wonderful as Christmas presents are, as wonderful it is even to gather together as God's people and worship Him through the Christmas season. That's all wonderful. It is nothing compared to the glory and the wonder and the awesomeness of Jesus Christ, God Himself, coming to earth to save us. And so as, as believers, as the church, we stand amazed, going, oh my, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you have come to us because we could not get to you. You came to be with us because we could not be with you. But if you're hearing this, and Christmas is just a wonderful holiday that you get a few extra days off of work, or it's just a holiday where we get to spend time with family and friends, or the one time a year that I get to go to church. You need to hear and know that To be saved, you must honor God. Do not take His Son lightly. Do not take Christmas lightly. He came to save those who believe and follow and submit to Him. You say, what do I need to do? You need to realize and confess your uncleanness before a holy God. And he will faithfully save you. So you've heard. That's that's the gospel message. You've heard it. And now you have no excuse. As a believer, you hear the gospel message. It's a reminder and an encouragement. As an unbeliever, my hope and my prayer is that it convicts so that you might believe and follow our one and holy God. Father, I pray that this incident with Uzzah and David is not something we take lightly, that we see it for what it is. The reality, Father, that without your Son, we are unclean that the dirt is cleaner than us before you, God. And I pray, Father, as your children, that we would find encouragement in this and that we would glorify you, that, that we would strive to live lives of honor and respect for who you are, that you are the, the Lord of hosts and nothing stands before you without their knees bowing, without their heads bowing and without giving you the glory, for you are God. And for those, Father, who hear this, I pray you would 
and they do not know you, I pray, Father, you would convict them. I pray that you would open their eyes to the uncleanness of their own life, that they would believe, that they would confess, and that you would save their souls, Father. Remind us Christmas is more than gifts and good times. It is just another opportunity for us as your people to glorify you and worship you for what you have done and for who you are. You are our God. Worthy of all honor and praise and glory and respect. And we thank you for that, God. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?